Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clerkin Cannon tēnei. The Cook Islands are a popular holiday destination. From the big forested island of Rarotonga to the 14 smaller atolls with their white sand beaches and warm lagoons. But... On a recent trip there, Alison Balance turned her back to the corals and tropical fish and instead went inland in search of several successful conservation projects. The Takitimu Conservation Area lies in Rarotonga's southeast. The TCA, as it's locally known, belongs to three landowning families. Back in 1996, They set aside 155 hectares of forest to protect what was then a critically endangered land bird, the kakarori, or Rarotongan flycatcher. Hoping to see this little bird, I've joined a tour to the Takitimu Conservation Area. My guide is Ian Karika, the chair of the Conservation Area Coordinating Committee. He's been involved with kakarori since 1999, and despite a stroke a few years ago, his enthusiasm and energy are undiminished. Come over, we can hear you. I can see. <laughs> oh, you can see one? Yeah, yeah. So you're playing a call? I am now. So they get curious and come down, or are they a bit... Busy they are. I just like them. Yeah, there should be two. But sometimes it'll come... New Zealand ornithologist Hugh Robertson works at the Department of Conservation and like Ian, he has had a long involvement with kākarori. Yeah, so I started in 1987 travelling with Rod Hay who worked for Ecology Division of DSIR in those days and uh, Rod had just done a, a contract for BirdLife International or their predecessor about identifying the, um, the rarest birds in the South Pacific region and Rod had visited the Cook Islands and found Kakarori and had put them in the sort of top ten species that needed attention. So Rod started some colour banding back in '85, and then I accompanied Rod in 1987 to do a full census of the Kakarori. And so that's where I started. Before we go any further, describe the Kakarori to me. Kakarori is a small forest bird, about the size of a, a house sparrow, a little bit smaller. It starts off orange in the first two years of life and then it becomes mottled in the third year and then turns grey from year four onwards. So 
I'm a redhead, so I follow the same sort of pattern from going from orange to grey with increasing age. <laughs> but when, when Rod and I started the project, it was thought that male kakarori were grey and the females were orange. But uh, when we put colour bands on the birds, we discovered that both males and females follow the same plumage sequence from orange to grey. It's just that uh, female kakarori get killed on nests by rats at night. And so um, often you end up with a, an older male with a young female. And so that's where the early naturalists got confused because they saw most pairs were a mix of grey and orange birds, but that wasn't actually the case. So they're a flycatcher? They are. So their closest relative in New Zealand is the fantail, but you know, they don't really look like a fantail. They don't have that long fantail. So they look more like a house sparrow or for people who are more familiar with um, some of our native birds, whitehead and, and mohua are probably the two species they most resemble in terms of just general shape and, and behaviours. And there are flycatchers across the Pacific? There are. The kakarori is, is a pomaria flycatcher, and so that group is found in Cook Islands and also in French Polynesia where there are some very critically endangered and now extinct species now, you mentioned extinction there, and that was certainly something that was on your mind with kakarori in the 80s because they were going downhill pretty fast, weren't they? Yes. When, when we started that first census, we you know, checked the core area where people had, had found them before, but we also searched all the valleys nearby, and um, our f total was um, 38 birds. So you know, that is a very small population by any standards. And then over the next two years, we um, watched that number drop from 38 down to 29 birds in 1989. And that's uh, when we started the, the management of, of rats, which are the number one problem for kakarori. So the ship rat uh, is quite capable of climbing trees and out long-limbed branches um, to get to the nests, which are generally sort of uh, quite high up in the tree, maybe five to six metres on average. And uh, but the ship rats climb up there at night, kill the female, eat the eggs or chicks, and um, then go and look for their next uh, meal. So we started by uh, poisoning rats in one of the valleys, one of the three valleys occupied by Kakarori. And um, we compared that over the first probably three or four years of, of study and found that the um, breeding success was 62% in the areas where we had been controlling rats, compared with 26% in the areas we hadn't. So it, it was you know, strongly pointing to rats being the number one problem. And the other, other problem they face are, are feral cats that feed on the rats largely, but um, they'll feed on a kakarori if they have one uh, come close enough to the ground. And young kakarori are quite inquisitive and certainly um, come down quite low to look at people, and I imagine they'd do the same with a cat. And cat would spring up and, and kill it. And we have found remains of cat-killed kakarori um, in the Takatumu Conservation Area. Ian manages the programme to control rats using poison baits, baits which are paid for by ecotourists like me coming on the guided walks. So sometimes... Oh, that's your rat bait yeah, for controlling so, yeah, the rats. E easy for you to, you just pay nothing. So you're using an old ice cream yeah, container. and that's, that works out. And through there, you know. And the reason for having it in the ice cream container? Keeps the water off it, yeah. So how many poison bait stations do you have? 400. Yeah. How long does it take you to do those? Um, over here I'll do 
one, two, three days. Yeah. My mate lady does two days on that side, and another lady on that. She does three days on that one, and then over there I do just two more on that side as well. Oh, okay. Mm. So that's a few days' work, though. It, it does, yes. So you start in September. And we finish at... Um, and you finish in December when the chicks are big enough. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we do. All, all, every year we do, do so that. So you're basically out. putting poison bait out for four months a year and then for the rest of the time you don't put any out. No, no. And you've been doing that since the 1990s? Um, yeah, I started them around... Um, 1999. <laughs> so you've been doing it for more than 20 years. I, I think so, yes. <laughs> Oh, you can see one. Yeah, just sitting. There it is. Come on, you hit it. Yeah. So it's quite orangey. Your rat poisoning is working. I think it is working. Yes. <laughs> uh, before we did the full poisoning throughout the whole of the Takutumu conservation area. We compare the um, survival of males and females, kakarori, and found in the non-treatment area that uh, 34% of the females died each year, and but in the treated area we reduced that down to just 8% dying each year. So life expectancy of, of the female kakarori went from two and a half years up to 13 years, which is a sort of a, a you know, major shift in the, in the population dynamics. For the males, it wasn't quite so dramatic because they um, they visit the nest and feed chicks and, and incubate by day, but not at night, um, and therefore not so vulnerable to rats. But their their survival was 15% in the non-treatment area and 5% uh, mortality in the uh, in the treatment area. So their life expectancy went from six years to 18 years. So quite amazingly long-lived birds for. You know, a bird that weighs only around about 20 to 25 grams. And so what's the population trend been doing? Okay, apart from um, just a small period in the uh, mid-2000s, or 2005-2006 era, which followed a series of cyclones that hit um, the Cook Islands, the population has, has steadily increased um, for the last 30 years. So it got down to the 29 birds in 1989, and and then has gone upwards ever since. So um, hit 50 birds in 1992, 100 birds in 1995, 200 by 2000. And um, we had an original aim of trying to get to 100 birds by 2000, so we more than um, doubled our results. And um, and then the last census, which was 2017, we had uh, 475 birds. But the census we've just completed this year uh, found a minimum of 621 birds on Rarotonga, which, um, yeah, biggest belief really um, that they could have done so well from being just 29 birds, uh, what, 30, 30 odd years ago, 33 years ago. But in addition to that, we um, translocated a total of 40 birds now to Achu, which is one of the islands um, in the southern Cooks, which doesn't have ship rats, but it does have uh, Kiori or the P Polynesian Pacific rat. And it seems as though um, Kakaroria have, have certainly survived with them over millennia on Rarotonga. So we assumed that they would survive okay in the presence of, of the Kiori on Atiu, and um, that's been the case. So we've taken 40 birds there starting in 2000, and um, 
now the population's anywhere between 150 and 500 birds, depending on who you talk to. So, you know, the global population could now be a thousand birds from the 29 we had in 1989. So, quite a uh, remarkable feat, and it's all thanks to the really hard work of uh, Cook Islanders and some expat New Zealanders who've um, have lived in the Cook Islands. Uh, Ed Saul is probably the the key driver of the whole of the rat poisoning effort over that era, and um, he wore his whole body out um, doing this rat poisoning uh, week after week, month after month. Yeah, I think the success of, of the Kakarori program is really due to the, the people who do the rat poisoning, not people like me who go and do the colour banding in the census. But the feedback that we're able to give from the census results um, certainly stimulates the rat poisoners to, to do their... Um, rather not tedious work because they're in a lovely environment, but um, it's, it's hard work in all sorts of weathers to go around um, the poison bait stations and replenish the baits. It's quite steep, rugged country, isn't it? It is, and so yeah, a lot of um, blood, sweat and tears has gone gone on from the rat poisoners over the, over the years, but um, it's certainly paid, paid dividends. The success of the Kakarori Conservation Programme and the effort put into the Takitimu Conservation Area got some very well-deserved recognition this year. The Takitimu Conservation Area project um, won one of three uh, community awards globally uh, by BirdLife International this year at their 100th uh, conference in Cambridge in, I guess it was September this year. And so that's really quite a feather in the cap for the project to get... um, that sort of, of recognition is one of three leading community-led uh, conservation projects uh, globally. In the future, Hugh hopes that a predator-free Raratonga might be on the cards, allowing the kakarori to spread across the entire island. But in the meantime, rat control continues, and a second population of kakarori on Atu provides a very good insurance backup. Atu, which is also known as Enuamanu, or Land of the Birds, is one of the Cook's small southern islands lying just over 200 kilometres from Rarotonga. It's a great place to see kakarori. Oh, there, right in front of you. Right in front of you. Hey, man, hallelujah. <laughs> Look at that lovely adult kakarori. You must feel really proud when you see them, George. Oh, when I see them this close, because I was saying to myself before we came here, I hope you're sitting in this, it's a coffee tree. Can you tell the boys from the girls? Yeah, it's the beak. You know, the, the bill, it's, uh, one is shorter than the other one. As well as kakarori, Achu is notable for another very successful bird translocation, the kura or rimatara lorikeet. This colourful little parrot was once widespread across an island chain that includes French Polynesia's Austral Islands and the Cook Islands. But it was hunted to extinction in most places by Polynesians who prized the bird's red feathers. By 1900, the lorikeet survived only on Rimatara Island in French Polynesia, where the island's queen had banned hunting. Ecologist Gerald McCormick is director of the Cook Islands Natural Heritage Trust, in 1992, he carried out a survey of the endangered lorikeet on Rimatara. We went to Rimatara to survey the lorikeet because there was no data existing on its distribution on the island and just how abundant it was and what habitat it was in. And so we walked all the roads 
of the island, mapping the vegetation and doing uh, a sort of a method of counting the birds that I'd previously developed in Itataki for the blue lorikeet, which we have. It's just a ballpark figure. What was it? So there was about 900 of them, so they were pretty prolific. At the same time, Gerald trapped rats to work out which species were present. There were Pacific and Norway rats, but importantly for the lorikeet, there were no ship rats. But Gerald was aware they could arrive accidentally at any time, and he recommended establishing a second insurance population on another island. In the years following that initial survey, the lorikeet population on Rimatara began to decline. And by 2005, a report to the government of French Polynesia recommended that a second population be established as a matter of urgency. It was a complex matter navigating international political borders and the requirements of CITES, the Convention on the International Trade in Endangered Species. So in 2007, after an enormous amount of negotiation and stuff, we eventually brought in 27 birds so that there would be a second uh, reserve because we know that uh, ship rat, you know, ratus ratus, is the fundamental enemy of these lorikeets in, in French Polynesia. So yes, at any time you can get a, a ship rat arriving on an island. And it could arrive in the Cook Islands too. We have no idea why Atu does not have ship rat so you figured it was a good place to put the kura? So this is the only place that you could put them. And how many birds did you move? 27. And how have they we're, gone? Oh, there's hundreds of them now. So, you know, no, they've, they've absolutely flourished. And they should have. I mean, there was just, there was only two negative features of the island that might have been things that could have upset them a little bit in their new home. And one is the honeybee and the other one is the minor bird. So why would the honeybee be a problem? Because they'd be competing for nectar and food. They're a nectar feeder. OK, and miners? Just because miners harass anything that's in their territory. Atu local George Matiariki, known to everyone as Birdman George, was part of the group that travelled to Rimatara to collect the lorikeets, and he has continued to monitor them. He saw firsthand what the minor birds can do. Yeah, the minor birds uh, who... The first nest we saw was the bird coming out. So this is the first lorikeet nest? Yeah, first baby, because we had bounties on it. And then this uh, girl girl saw it, and then we paid her $250. Because she saw the first nest? Yeah, and everybody went there, and we actually saw the baby coming out, looking around out of the nest. And all of a sudden, about 50 miles, we were zooming down on the poor little juvenile bird. Oh, beating it up on it? Yeah. Ah. So that's when we started to get this thing, I don't know, we're going to get rid of this minor birds. Getting rid of minor birds would be a significant challenge. Only in the Seychelles has it been eradicated from islands, and those islands were just a fraction of the size of Archu and they only had up to, one had just over a thousand birds and I think one had 750 birds. So they How many were, did you think you had on Archu? Well, the, the estimates that we had, the conservative estimate was 6,000 and a lot of people said, no, nah, there's a lot more than that. It's not fun to get started off with because we had other people that say talking about bird rights. And I said to them, well, they've got no right on my island because they're from India. And we are trying to protect this endangered species because minor birds, they're not endangered. 
This is a piss. Miners were introduced to the Cook Islands in the early 1900s to control the coconut stick insect. They are one of the world's worst bird pests. In 2009, Birdman George began the control operation using at first a bird-specific toxin called Stalicide. Local residents were promised a bounty for any miners they caught using local trapping methods. When these techniques became less successful, George started using special traps containing decoy birds to lure wild birds in. A professional hunter was eventually employed to shoot miners. After several years, Gerald decided that the lorikeets were doing so well despite the miners that he no longer thought they needed to be eradicated after all. But the island residents were keen to see the pesky birds go, and so the operation continued. Towards the end, we have to pay $250 for one dead bird. Because it was really, really getting hard. And then people start saying to me, oh, we've seen six birds so somewhere on the island. I know Archie like the back of my hand. And I said, never mind, forget it, because they're all males. In 2016, the minor eradication was declared a success. Birdman George was made a global biodiversity hotspot hero for his dedication and tireless work. 2016 then, I was picked up by the World or IUCN for the award for Macronesia and Polynesia. And that was done in Hawaii. So, so that was in recognition of all the work you've done. Yeah. What a great recognition. Oh, I was over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, there's 12 of us from all over the world. When the minor bird was there, everywhere you looked, when a, when a bird moved, you looked and it was a minor bird. You see something move on the wire, on the power line, it's a minor bird. You see a bird everywhere, it's a minor bird, a minor bird, minor bird. Now, whenever you see a little movement out of the corner of the eye and you look, it's a native bird. And again, for the Kura too, you know, I mean, the Kura is just super abundant, so it's, so it's just everywhere. And it's flourishing there because it's got hibiscus flowers galore, it's got fruits galore, it's got everything it needs. These days, instead of squawking miners, Achu is full of the sound of Kura, the lorikeet, and Kakarori, the flycatcher, along with other endemic species such as the Achu swiftlet, a local species of kingfisher, a fruit dove, and the Pacific pigeon. Achu really is Enuamanu, the island of birds. A big thank you to Ian Karaka from the Takatumu Conservation Area on Rarotonga, Hugh Robertson from the New Zealand Department of Conservation, Birdman George Mateariki on Aitu, and Gerald McCormack from the Cook Islands National Heritage Trust. And that story was produced for us by Alison Balance and engineered by Mark Chesterman. Thanks to you both. Thanks also to our Changing World assistant producer Ellen Rikers for her work on the show. Our website is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, where you can find more info and some cute kakerore pictures. Or find us on Twitter or Facebook, where we are at RNZScience. 
You can visit the Podcasts and Series tab on the RNZ website to get to know some of the other great members of the RNZ podcast family, such as the Aotearoa History Show, Voices and Know My Town. There's something for everybody. In great news for the show, we've been nominated as finalists for both the Best Factual Podcast and the Climate Award in the 2022 New Zealand Podcast Awards. There's also a Listener's Choice Award, and you can visit nzpodcastawards.com and click on the Vote Now button to nominate Our Changing World. But you'll have to get to it quick because voting closes on the 9th of December. As ever, thanks so much for listening to and supporting Our Changing World. Until next week, I'm Claire Kincannon. Hey kona! Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.